The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. KDO said no. Sort of. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina is sitting across from me. Tom Offerman is behind the glass. Both of them can talk. I can talk. Katie can talk. Phil Kessel, though, apparently cannot. At least that's what I'm hearing from the station across the street. Why didn't he speak? The fans need to know. It's not about me. It's about them. It's not about the fans because the fans just don't care. The coach talked. The general manager talked. A lot of other people talked. And I don't recall anybody bitching when none of the Steelers talked at the end of their season. A far more disappointing end to a season, I might add. Give me a break with the Phil Kessel's a bad dude because he's not talking to the media take. I really don't have the energy for it. I thought about it. Let me formulate a take here. Let me defend Phil. Let me rip Phil. Let me talk about it for an hour or 15 minutes or whatever. And it hit me. I could talk about it for 45 seconds, and I think that's the cap. Because it just does not interest me at all. It's not the kind of sports radio we want to do on this program. Phil Kessel is going to turn into the same Phil Kessel he was in Toronto, or at least the Pittsburgh media is going to tell us that. That Phil Kessel's checking out, Phil Kessel doesn't care, Phil Kessel's not a leader. The reason that Phil works here is because he doesn't have to be any of those things. Sidney Crosby's accountable. The coach is accountable. There are a bunch of leaders on this team. Chris Letang yesterday was all kinds of accountable. If they're all being accountable and they're all taking the bullets, why does Phil Kessel have to get in front of the firing squad? On this team, he is a role player. And in any other city, any other organization, the role players aren't going to have to be put in that spot. Sure, there are questions that you'd like to see get answered by Phil Kessel. But do you care enough to throw your hands up? Do you care enough to get hashtag mad online? Yeah, I don't think so. So that's the end of that. That's the end of the Phil Kessel not talking take. I don't know how in the world he made an entire show out of that this morning. I just don't get it. All right, now I'm done. No, but seriously, how does that take become a radio show? I bet you Mark's doing the same thing right now. I've been getting ripped a lot for giving the Penguins the benefit of the doubt this year after they lost to the Capitals in the second round. You can't judge them on the last two years. you got to judge them on this year. Nope, I can use context. No, this year's a colossal failure. No, it's not. They weren't good enough for the first time in three years. They'd have lost to Tampa. Injuries aren't excuses, man. Sure they are. Former Steelers PR man and great dude Ryan Scarpino tweeted about how the Penguins always seem to get the benefit of the doubt when the Steelers lose, and they don't. I don't understand where that take comes from right now, because in a lot of circles, the Steelers, the Penguins, pardon me, are getting ripped. Ron Cook said that they should take this to their grave. Chris Muller said it's inexcusable for the Penguins to have missed this opportunity. So I don't know where he's coming up with that. But he said, when the Steelers lose, it's fire, Tom, and the sky's falling. And he's right insofar as the Steelers get ripped when they lose. Ripped. Particularly these last two years. 
But why weren't they deserving of being excoriated? They gave up 45 points in a playoff game to a team that set offense back 70 years the week before against Buffalo. Two years ago, they didn't even put up a fight against New England. They didn't try to change their scheme despite the fact that Brady carves up zone like a Thanksgiving turkey. This year, they really made it tough on themselves. And here's how. It's a long list, so bear with me. I don't think these were the reasons the Steelers lost. Just a disclaimer. I think the defense wasn't good enough, and the Shazier injury made it largely impossible to play the way they wanted. But here's how they made it tough on themselves and really have no one to blame but themselves. After the win against Kansas City in the divisional round two years ago, A.B. was in the locker room filming himself and the coaches. They never looked like they were on the same page to start this year. Le'Veon held out, didn't play well for the first month of the season. Steelers gave up 200 rushing yards to a bad Chicago team. Then they had the anthem controversy, where Villanueva was apologizing. Roethlisberger said he couldn't sleep at night. They did not look like a cohesive unit. Then A.B. chucked the Gatorade cooler. Ben called him out, as he's one to do on his radio show. Le'Veon said he needed more carries. Martavius asked for a trade. Roethlisberger ripped Bryant. Tomlin talked about a rematch with the Patriots before they even played the first game. Mike Mitchell was thought to be looking ahead to New England in the playoffs. Le'Veon Bell talked about how he might retire if the Steelers don't sign him long term. Then Mitchell ran his mouth outside the Jags locker room. Todd Haley was busting his hip at the Gala Cowboy. And here we are. So seriously, I've never seen a season like that in my life from a successful organization. Steelers won 13 games despite all that, but then they gave up 45 in the playoffs and were done. I guess I'm not done. The coordinator refused to use the quarterback sneak. Now he's gone. Ben Roethlisberger ripped the organization for drafting a quarterback after saying he wants to play for five more years despite considering retirement just a few years ago. Whether or not all that junk has anything to do with them winning or losing is your best guess. You can make an argument without a doubt that it does. I happen to think they were just a flawed football team, and that was the problem. But all that adds up to not being a likable bunch. It all adds up to a group that looks like it lacks discipline. That's why they don't get the benefit of the doubt when they lose. As for the Pens, they absolutely did not get preferential treatment from 2012 to 2016. They flamed out, and they got crushed by the media. So much so that Bilesma, Shiro, and Mike Johnson all got fired, and there was a bunch of talk about the Penguins being the 1990s Braves. Those teams, like these Steelers, made themselves very easy to criticize. They underachieved every year. And they did so in an immature fashion. In 2012, they pooped down their leg. No other way to put it. They absolutely choked. Flurry didn't live up to expectations, and he was left out to dry by every player on that roster. Crosby fought Giroux, Latang and Malkin were taking penalties left and right. It was mayhem, and they deserved to get ripped for that mayhem. 2013 was similar. They got totally frustrated by the Bruins, despite having one of the best rosters in franchise history. 2014, they blew a 3-1 series lead, and that got the coach GM fired. So, no, they did get criticized. They didn't get the benefit of the doubt. But they do for me right now, because they do it the right way. This was a drama-free season, and the last two years have been drama-free from an off-the-ice standpoint. Sure, there's been mumps and cancer and blood clots, but you can't do anything about all that. In 2015, there was the Ice Cream Man story, but that was two years ago. These Penguins are likable, and here's the kicker. They didn't underachieve. 
So here's a lesson to anybody who's pissy with me defending the Penguins after their loss. When you win, you reap the benefits. When you lose in spectacular fashion and you don't live up to expectations, you're going to get ripped. That's the way of the real world. You either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Tomlin hasn't won in a while and his team doesn't have any self-control. That's going to get you killed by the Yinzers. The Penguins won the last two championships. That's going to buy equity as far as I'm concerned. It's a winner's world. It's a perception world. And the perception is that the Steelers don't win because of distraction. The Penguins have won, and they did in a workmanlike fashion. When they didn't, they got treated just like the Steelers did. I'm nothing if I'm not fair. If the team deserves it, I'll tell it like it is. If they don't, I'm not afraid to go against the industry standard and not rip anyone. That's what this all boils down to, right? You're supposed to rip someone. You gotta tear them a new one, right? They failed, and because they failed, you gotta kill them. No, you don't. If the winners don't get to reap benefits, then who does? If two championships in three years, and that's what it's going to have been after the Stanley Cup is raised in a month or so, doesn't buy you equity, it doesn't buy you time to not get criticized, then nothing will. I want to live in a society where Mike Sullivan doesn't get ripped for a series the first one that he loses after winning nine in a row. Is it that hard of an ask? I don't think it's that hard of an ask. And yet I'm getting called a homer left and right on Twitter. It's not about being a homer. It's about being realistic. Does there always have to be blood in the water? Do you always have to be itching to rip somebody? Oh, Phil Kessel, let's get after him. Oh, he didn't talk to the media. We've got to drum up controversy. No, you don't. Just because the industry tells you that you do doesn't mean that you have to fall in line lockstep with the industry. I'm not going to do it. Why do I have to rip a guy if you rip a guy? Why do we always have to find fault? Why can't we ever just credit the victors? Sometimes you get beat. The Penguins did. Mike Sullivan got outcoached. They got outplayed. It's going to happen every once in a while. And since they're running at a 90% clip of success in Series 1 with that guy at the helm, uh, I think I'm going to go a little easier on him. And if that pisses you off, sorry, but I'm not sorry. Jim Rutherford admitted to Kessel, or pardon me, that Kessel and Broussard are both hurt, and because of that, they didn't play well during the playoffs. I think he had motivation for talking about each of those things. Mike Sullivan had a totally different take on Phil Kessel. I'll have the coaches back. I'll talk about that coming up at 5 o'clock today. Hey, the Pirates won yesterday afternoon. They came from behind in the bottom of the ninth to win their 21st game of the season. Are they actually good? Nah, I'm not going to do that. You know me too well. not going to play that game. We haven't talked about them for more than five minutes a show since the Penguins' playoffs started. So Lance Lysowski of DKPittsburghSports.com is going to jump on board in about nine minutes to tell us everything we need to know about the old battling buckos. Who's playing well? Who's not? Why are they 21-16? and 16? Is it an easy schedule? What's going on there? I don't know. We'll talk to him about that coming up in now about eight minutes. Because Andrew McCutcheon's returning this weekend, a lot of the conversation right now is circling around Corey Dickerson. And the fact that right now he's been far and away a better player than Andrew McCutcheon. How good has Dickerson been? He's one of the best players in the National League. But there's so many takes out there that I have to disagree with. 
Tim Williams of PiratesProspects.com says that Bucks fans should be happy the Pirates let Kutch go and brought Corey Dickerson in. And if you're looking at it from a baseball standpoint, Kutch is on the backside of his career, and Corey Dickerson had a good year last year, and he's a quality player that could replace what McCutcheon might add at the backside of his career. But here's the deal. That was never the plan. I'm not going to give the Pirates credit for something that they never planned on. Their plan was only to cut Kutch's salary. Their plan was to not have to go down the arbitration road with Garrett Cole. So they got rid of Cole. Where was his replacement? Oh, they didn't get one. Why? Because it wasn't dropped in their effing lap. Their plan was to cut McCutcheon's salary, say see you later, and field a team that wasn't going to have a Corey Dickerson until what happened. Corey Dickerson got dropped in their lap. They were fortuitous. They weren't smart. I'm sick of the revisionist history. There are people in this town that will rip the Pirates just to rip them, and there are people in this town that will defend the Pirates just to defend them. Tim's one of the people who will always defend them. Alan Saunders is one of the people who will always defend them. It doesn't make them bad guys, but I don't like it. I think it makes them intellectually dishonest. And I think that some in this town, like Mark Madden, can be intellectually dishonest going the other way. Well, the Pirates suck because they suck because they suck. Usually there's some middle ground there. Here's what I think. It was an accident, so I ain't going to credit him for it. And you know how I know it was an accident that they signed Corey Dickerson? Because it was the second week of spring training. Their offseason was over as far as they were concerned. Until all of a sudden a stork flies by and drops Corey Dickerson right on their faces. And you know what? They still get to save $9 million. Not the 14. They saved nine. And you get a pretty good player. Same thing happened with the Steelers last year with Joe Hayden. Oh, the Steelers were so shrewd to go out and get that guy. No, they were lucky as all get out. And most of us said that at the time. Let's say it about the Pirates. Let's treat them the same. To an extent. Because the Steelers actually do try to win. I'll get in all that in a lot more detail coming up at 440. Pitt looks like the little brother always asking the big brother to hang out, don't they, in this Penn State chase? In the near future, Pitt's playing Tennessee. They're playing Notre Dame. They're playing West Virginia. They're playing Cincinnati. They need a rivalry. They don't need Penn State, and if they do, they shouldn't make it seem like they need him so badly. They're like the clingy high school girlfriend. You think Penn State wants to play Pitt when Pitt is this desperate to continue to get something done? No. And if Pitt's going to get this desperate, then Penn State needs to get things done on their own terms. Two in Happy Valley, one in Heinz Field. And if that's not going to happen, then they shouldn't do the deal at all. Pitt needs to keep it in their pants. They'll be playing West Virginia, so there's your rivalry. They'll also have Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Virginia Tech, and Louisville all in conference. And with the backyard brawl back, I think Pitt fans have more than enough that should entertain them. Let the rivalry with Penn State die if Penn State wants the rivalry to die. Don't blow up their phone. Don't wait outside their house. Don't be desperate. Just let it happen. They're playing hard to get. No need to play along. I learned that lesson from KDO. Up next, Lance Lysowski is going to teach me a thing or two about baseball. I'm not watching. I mean, geez. Penguins playoffs. There is no bigger drop-off in sports than going from playoff hockey, where everything's on the line, overtime game six, to Pirates are down 4 nothing in the second inning. 
Lance joins us next. It's the Crowley Show. You'll use every club in your bag on the meticulously maintained Seven Springs and Hidden Valley Golf Courses. These mountaintop courses take maximum advantage of the mountain vistas of the Laurel Highlands. Play two dynamic courses that are each beginner-friendly, yet present a challenging round to the advanced golfer. The ultimate Laurel Highlands golf getaway is back. Play both Seven Springs and Hidden Valley. One and two-night lodging packages at Seven Springs are available. For more information, visit the number sevensprings.com. Seven Springs, your headquarters for outdoor fun. What's wrong, Tom? Why don't you like when he does pit takes? Nothing's wrong. I'm happy about it. You look upset. Pit. No, I'm happy we're getting little brother back with the backyard brawl. Is that a cheer trickling down your face? No, it's not. No more Penn State? What happened? Just shut guys. We interrupt our regularly scheduled program for this breaking news update on ESPN Pittsburgh. Big one here, boys. The Steelers have signed their fifth-round pick, Marcus Allen, and their seventh-round pick, Joshua Frazier, to four-year contracts. What? I know. Joshua? Yes. Marcus? Yeah. What? It's not that Marcus Allen, though. They signed him? They did. The contracts. They signed the guys that they picked. The Steelers? In the draft. Two contracts. No. It's huge. Heard Big it deal. here first, people. Big deal. People say we haven't been talking enough football lately. Wow. Breaking news right here in your faces. I mean, you think they're even mentioning that in the update on the station across the street? We've devoted a solid 45 seconds to it. That's more than we've devoted to the Pirates over the last month or so since the Penguins have been in the playoffs. Look, I just go with what people want to talk about. And the average listener is only around for like six minutes, so I want them to keep tuning in to hear hockey. But now they're dead, and I need to learn me something about baseball. So we bring in Lance Lazowski from DKPittsburghSports.com. Lance, how are you, buddy? It's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. I'm doing all right. Yeah, everyone said that it's the start of baseball season. I've been at it for four months now, so yeah, it's been going on. Are you already burnt out? Are you already tired? Do you need some time off already, Lance? Nah, I'm doing all right. Um, I just got back from Chicago. I mean, hey, off day today, off day Monday, but I'm not looking forward to what's going to happen at PNC Park tomorrow night. I will be honest with everybody. Well, let's start right there, baby. Why aren't you looking forward to it? McCutcheon's coming back. Well, Adam, when when these events happen, everybody comes out of the woodwork and with, with their TV cameras and their hot take questions. And, um, of course, there will be some interesting ones tomorrow night. And all the players kind of disappear, and it's it's quite the scene. Oh, no. Okay, I know exactly what's going on here. We start off with this segment talking about how we haven't talked about baseball in a long time. Nobody's talked about baseball in a long time. You've been out there, so it bothers you that now everyone's hopping on the baseball bandwagon. No, no. It, no, it, I get it. it. I understand. It'll, it'll bother me that we're going to have hot takes about uh, Andrew McCutcheon, what happened in the offseason, and we're going to dig that whole thing up again. And it's not that it comes up, Adam. It's the, the ridiculous questions from people that you haven't seen in, in months that have no idea what the, the Pirates record is or even how Andrew McCutcheon is doing in a Giants uniform. <laughs> Since we haven't been paying attention either, can you tell us the Pirates' record and how they got to this point? 
Well, it is kind of interesting. Um, there, nobody expected them to be a half game out when, when the Giants came into town. Uh, they're one of the best offenses in baseball, and they're, they're winning despite having probably mediocre starting pitching, you could say, at this point. Their bullpen really hasn't been good. They're just kind of finding games to win. It's been an odd six weeks or so. They've won on a, a bunt single in the ninth inning. They've just came from behind to beat a really terrible White Sox team, White Sox team twice in, uh, in Chicago. They've won every series against a division opponent. Yes, you know, it's, they're, they're finding offense without Andrew McCutcheon. Corey Dickerson's been really good. Josh Bell and Gregory Polanco haven't been, but still, they're, they're kind of finding ways to win games. It is only one month into the season. They've kind of gotten lucky by facing teams at a pretty opportune time, too. Well, and you need that. And over the last couple of years, even when the Pirates were good, they didn't start off all that well in April. So at least this is welcome. And the way that the wild card's set up, if you're battling for a second wild card, if you hang around 500, at least the summer's going to be fun for a little while because you can say that you're in the race. So the good start absolutely helps there. I want to focus on one thing you just said, uh, that Bell and Polanco haven't exactly lived up to expectations, yet the offense, I think, is second in the National League in runs scored. So I think Pirates fans all can get excited about the fact that, well, those guys might not all have great seasons or both have great seasons. You'd expect them to at least average out to their mean, which should be a boon for an offense that's already been pretty good. Yeah, I think Bell will be fine. Polanco, Polanco is what Polanco is. He's going to drive in some runs, but he's going to have those long streaks where he just looks terrible. And when Gregory Polanco is bad or he makes a mistake in the field, it looks just so much worse than anybody else because he's a lanky guy who can be very awkward. He's not the most athletic player, actually. Uh, the thing that's going to be interesting to monitor is can Francisco Cervelli stay healthy and continue hitting the ball the way he is? Uh, this is really the one thing that's caught me by surprise. Uh, he hasn't been healthy the last couple of years, hasn't really hit for power at all for much of his career, but now he's one of their you know biggest run producers. Corey Dickerson's been really good since they got him. Starling Marte, this is the best he looked, I think, in his entire career, just the consistency at the plate. He's actually walking, which has never happened before. And they're getting contributions throughout the lineup. You know, Colin Moran's been really good. You know, he can't hit a lefty starting pitcher to save his life, but he's come up with clutch hits as a, as a rookie. And they've got depth on the bench. I think once Josh Harrison comes back, they actually have a threat at the top of the order. There is a lot of potential here, but you got to wonder if the starting pitching in the bullpen is actually going to be good enough for this team to truly contend against the Cardinals, the Cubs, and, hey, even the Brewers. Do you think Nick Kingham gets a legit chance to hang around for a while this season? Because that is one way to improve internally starting-wise at some point. Well, it still doesn't make any sense to me is their their decision to hand a starting a spot in the rotation to Joe Musgrove when he comes back, Adam. He's been, right. He was really bad as a starter in Houston. I mean, I know that he's kind of the big chip in that Garrett Cole trade, but he was a really good reliever in Houston. Why don't you use him as a really good reliever in Pittsburgh when your bullpen hasn't been all that great? I mean, especially in high-level situations, they need an eighth-inning guy. That's something Joe Musgrove did in the past, and now you have Nick Kingham coming in. Give him a spot in the rotation, and you have you know two guys in roles that they've been success- successful at in the past, but you're putting square pegs and round holes. I just don't get it. I, the potential is there with Musgrove's, but... He's never started more than 15 games in a season in AAA. This guy has never been a proven starting pitcher. So it, it just boggles my mind. I think at some point, I, either with Musgrove being bad or maybe an injury or maybe Chad Cool even being bad, that Kingham's going to find his way in that rotation for good. Lance Lysowski, DK Pittsburgh Sports.com, joining me here on the Crowley Show. 
The Pirates were fortunate to have Corey Dickerson land in their laps, and because of the way that Moran's played, it actually doesn't look all that bad that Andrew McCutcheon is no longer here, especially with the way McCutcheon has also played. How surprised are you by the way Corey Dickerson has looked? He's a good player, but he's one of the best players in the National League right now. Yeah, I think the one thing that surprised me the most is his defense. I mean, if you look at every advanced metric, he's one of the best defensive players in all of baseball. And that was the one knock against him coming in. Was everyone was wondering, can this guy even play left field in PNC Park? Well, he's done a really nice job at it. And what's another thing that stood out is he was horrible at hitting fastballs the last couple of years. In Tampa, even going back to his days in Colorado, now he's crushing fastballs. He's doing some different things at the plate. He's being aggressive, but he also knows when to kind of work the count. Just a really advanced hitter. Now, I can't imagine what this team would look like if they didn't get Dickerson. You'd have Adam Frazier as your starting left fielder. Oh, You'd boy. have Sean Rodriguez, who's batted 160 in the past year as your starting second baseman. It'd be a disaster. They got lucky. They really got lucky that Corey Dickerson came available at the time that he did and that Tampa was dumb enough to take Daniel Hudson and a, a bad minor league shortstop in return. The last couple of things here for Lance Lysowski of DKPittsburghSports.com. When looking at what the Pirates have in their bullpen, I think you believe in Rivero Vasquez, however you want to name that guy. Uh, other than that, what gives you faith that the Pirates could improve enough to get to a point where they could perhaps be a second wild card contender? Well, I think that you're going to have to see a change in roles at some point. George Contos hasn't been reliable enough in the mm-hmm. eighth inning. and You need somebody who's going to be a shutdown late inning reliever. You need a guy with swing and miss stuff. They have that with Michael Feliz, who's pitched in the seventh. So Feliz is eventually going to get moved to the eighth. Edgar Santana has looked really good as of late. He's actually getting left-handers out. I think he can slide into the seventh with George Contos being in the middle relief. And you've got two long relievers that could be good. I mean, Stephen Brault, as a reliever, has been excellent. You know, I, he wasn't good as a starting pitcher. I don't think he should ever be moved back into that role. And he had a really good outing yesterday in Chicago. And Tyler Glass now, for as big of a disaster as he is at times, he's actually shown potential at others. I mean, he, he can give you multiple innings. I think there's more there. So there's pieces. There's a much better foundation to this bullpen than I think anybody expected. Now it's going to be interesting to see how Musgrove fits in. I think he should go with the bullpen because if you put Musgrove in that bullpen with the other pieces they have, you would have a playoff caliber playoff caliber bullpen, in my opinion. Guys have to improve. You're relying on glass now, but there's that would really round things out. Now the starting rotation is, a, is, a, is also going to be a, a big question mark. Sure. You know, Jameson Tyone hasn't been the same pitcher the last couple of starts. Chad Cool is what he is, and Trevor Williams and Yvonne Nova, they rely on being perfect almost every all their start. They need to get ground balls, and both of them giving up too many home runs. That's not a good recipe. What do you think about the lineup, the way it's constructed? Uh, while these bottom-of-the-lineup or middle-of-the-lineup guys are uh, having some success, I would consider moving them up. They've been pretty much static. They really have been static. Hurdle has all year long. Yeah, guys get comfortable in the spots. You know, guys are creatures of routine. They don't want to be moved out. They, you know, they, they kind of want to stay. And why mess up with something that's already working? But you're coming to the point, Adam, where your leadoff hitter hasn't been good. Adam Frazier just hasn't been producing at the plate. Gregory Polanco is way too streaky to be put in that number two spot. I mean, the number two spot in the lineup is the biggest run producer statistically. Uh, that's kind of what they came in thinking that Polanco could be that guy. But if you, how do you move guys around? You want to break up the right-handed and the left-handed bat, so it's not an easy solution. I mean, I've tried to piece it together multiple times on paper to see, okay, 
if you move Marte up the leadoff, you know, how does this work? But Marte hasn't been good in the leadoff spot. He's hitting well, you know, at third. Dickerson's doing really nicely behind Bell. So I understand Harold's logic, but I don't know how much longer they can go with Adam Frazier batting leadoff and even Gregory Plunka batting second. All right, now back to the thing you don't want to talk about. Let's get through it. Yeah, McCutcheon's a, coming back. We're going to be talking back. a lot about it all weekend. Yeah, baby. Uh, it is going to be a weird environment at PNC Park. Certainly the players who are on the field don't deserve any of the vitriol that ownership does deserve, in my opinion. And yet, I feel like a lot of that's going to break out this weekend. Uh, you know Andrew McCutcheon is going to get a huge ovation, and rightfully so. Uh, but I hope that it's not at the expense of not looking at what a guy like Corey Dickerson is doing. Uh, I think it's a disservice to him, because he's having a hell of a year. I think it's a disservice to a lot of guys who have who have worked to improve. I mean, Francisco Cervelli, who was a disaster last season with the injuries, what he was able to do in the off season, and hey, as much as people are talking about Derek Cole and what he's doing in Houston is unbelievable, they they got some nice pieces in that trade. I think ownership, maybe not, yeah, ownership and Neil Huntington, you know, made some mistakes maybe with how long they held on to McCutcheon. You know, it, they had to know that they weren't going to resign him, that they didn't want to pay the price it was going to take to hold on to him for as long as they did, and to get what they did in return, that was a huge mistake. Now, Kyle Crick might be okay. Brian Reynolds might be okay. But the face of the franchise, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, <laughs> has still looked really good this year despite the overall numbers. Uh, the discipline at the plate has been really good. Can you imagine Andrew McCutcheon in right field with Corey Dickerson left uh, that <laughs> with the way things have gone? Um, but it's going to be a different atmosphere at the ballpark because there's actually going to be people in the seats. I don't know. The, the ballpark's been pretty <laughs> empty this year for as well as the buyer has been playing. Uh, the one thing that's good for them is they've been, they're coming in with a winning streak. They're playing well. So as much as the noise, you know, will be probably annoying to some of them, it, they'll know that once the weekend is over, then the whole McCutcheon thing will be a past. Lance, uh, really love the stuff, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And have fun continuing your grind, even though the rest of us think baseball season just started. Hey, it's fine. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure that... um I know hockey's dead, but baseball's alive, so hey, hopefully I can join you guys again soon. You're going to join us every week. You just don't know it yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's set something up then, Adam. Yeah, I'm sending the I'm sending the uh, numbers your way right now, okay? Yeah, have your people contact my people or however the hell that works. Damn right. There he goes. Lance Lizowski, DKPittsburghSports.com. If we did send something to their people, we would not do it in the form of text. I love Lance. Great dude. Coming up next, I have the definitive opinion on the Corey Dickerson-Andrew McCutcheon situation. It's a Crowley Show. New Twitter poll up at underscore Adam Crowley. Phil Mickelson is currently moonlighting as... A Jiffy Lube technician, an enterprise employee, or a waiter at an upscale restaurant. The reason I ask is because Phil Mickelson is wearing the weirdest shirt I've ever seen a golfer wear, and I've watched a lot of what John Daly's done. It's a button-up, long-sleeve, collared shirt. He looks like all of those things that I listed. 
And in fact, he's putting for birdie right now. You can find a different place for a Callaway sponsorship, pal. And you can find a shirt that fits. My God, it's tight. Oh. Like you can see rolls on Phil. Yeah, that gut is nasty. And he just came up short there. Oh, Fig Jam. Fig Jam. Fig Jam also flipped out on a spectator who said something or other whenever he was teeing off on whatever hole that was that he was teeing off on. We'll keep you updated on everything that's going on at the Players' Championship. In fact, maybe we'll get our buddy Harry Carey to join in at some point. Give some golf scores. Yeah, not right now, but at some point. We can get some Harry. Harry's good for a lot of things. I know when he's gazing down from heaven, though, the thing he loves not as much as baseball, but close second, is golf. Tied with alcohol. He and John Daly would get along very well. McCutcheon's coming back this weekend. I don't know if you know. I really wanted to buy an Andrew McCutcheon player tee, but did not think it out in advance far enough. No, I did not get one, and I'm bummed out, because I would have sat there on Saturday night, getting a sunburn, drinking beer, booing the team mercilessly, just to be a troll. Not because I feel one way or the other, but just to be a troll. Just to be that guy. And now instead, I'm going to go, and I'm probably going to wear my McCutcheon Pirates jersey. I'm anti-Jersey at this point. I'm old. But I want to show support for the team. And by the team, I mean Team McCutcheon. Like Bonds before him, though, coming back in a Giants uniform. Here's betting the reaction's going to be a little bit better for Cutch than it was for Barry. After all, McCutcheon never got told off by the manager the way Bonds did by Leland. McCutcheon was never suspected of doing steroids. McCutcheon didn't leave because he wanted to. He left because he had to. So the reception will be different. But while you're cheering on the dude who made baseball feel real again in Pittsburgh, make sure you spend some time clapping for the guy that's making the Pirates good right here, right now. And that's Corey Dickerson. Dude's hitting 323. That's good enough for fourth in the league. He's eighth in war. He's eighth in ribs. The Pirates are 21 and 16. They're a good baseball team right now. And it's okay to enjoy it if you want. Now, I'm an Indians fan. But there's a penguin-shaped void in my heart. Now's the time for the Buckos to win me over if they can. One of the big reasons why they're good, though, is because Dickerson has been a stud in the middle of that lineup. He's also been excellent in the field as well, and unfortunately for old number 22, his numbers compare rather favorably to Andrew McCutcheon's. Cutch's average is 73 points lower. He's driven in 12 less runs. He's got a war of .7 as compared to 1.7 for Dickerson. Dickerson right now is the better player, and he was a comparable player last year. He's making less money, and he's younger. The Pirates made a no-brainer move when they brought him in. Bucks fans were pissed off when McCutcheon was shipped out because they thought that that meant the Pirates were waving the white flag, and I thought the Pirates were close to being a wildcard team with Kutch in the fold if they added some pieces instead of subtract. Now that you see Garrett Cole off in Houston lighting it up, I can more than understand the frustration. In fact, I share in the frustration. So, for as much as I think you should cheer on Dickerson this weekend, and I think you should do that a bunch, don't applaud the Pirates bringing him in. Tampa cut him because they're an even bigger joke than the Pirates. The Bucks saw that they could get a good player on the cheap, and then they did. They shouldn't be commended for doing what a real baseball team should do. If I go to a garage sale 
and the seller's giving away an Xbox for 100 bucks, I'd be stupid not to buy it. The reason I bring this up is because Tim Williams from PiratesProspects.com is saying the Pirates did the right thing all along. Alan Saunders from PiratesProspects.com is saying the Pirates did the right thing all along, and their drove of Pirate fan followers is saying the exact same thing. They're waving that Jolly Roger left and right. Meanwhile, Neil Huntington's sitting on their shoulder, petting them the entire time. They got rid of a declining McCutcheon and brought in a better alternative in Dickerson. That's true. But when they got rid of Kutch, they had no idea Dickerson was going to be on the market. Corey was signed a weekend at spring training, brought in via trade. If it was their plan all along to add a bat of his caliber while shedding the declining years of an aging superstar, then that's badass. That is commendable. And in fact, we will clap for that here on the Crowley Show. Uh, But that's revisionist history. Tim runs a good site. He's a good dude. I like him a lot. I love Alan Saunders. He's funny. Like his Twitter account, he writes a lot of good things. He covers a bunch of stuff. But he defends the Pirates, and they defend the Pirates more than they should. They can be apologists. They're prospect nerds, process guys. He buys in, they buy in, hook, line, and sinker about the Bucks being a small market team, when in reality, they are a small market team, but they do a lot of it to themselves. To suggest that Dickerson getting brought in is a good move is to suggest the truth. To suggest that it's something that another baseball team that's trying to be competitive wouldn't do is disingenuous, and to suggest that it came to pass as anything other than an accident is changing the facts after the fact. Corey Dickerson deserves to be cheered, but the Pirates don't get any praise for me for accidentally stumbling on a pot of gold. They just don't. 412-922-2874. Lance... Basically said the same thing in the last segment. It was lucky that the Pirates got Corey Dickerson. Enough praising him for that. The Pirates brought in J.A. Happ a couple years ago at the deadline. And all the talk was bring in an ace, bring in an ace. Go out there and get Price. Bring in David Price. He'll be your guy. And I was all in for that. He had a proven track record. He was a great player. He's been a good player ever since. He's got carpal tunnel syndrome right now, but I didn't know that, so who cares? And what they did is they went out and they got J.A. Happ. And Pirates fans who are apologists and guys like that will say, oh, the Pirates did bring in a Cy Young caliber pitcher at that point. And his numbers bear out that, my God, yeah, there might not have been a better pitcher in the National League in the second half of the season. But at the same time, the Pirates went the cheap route brought in that guy, and then they got rewarded for him having the best three months or two months, whatever, of his career. The Pirates have done a lot of good things. They've done mostly bad things. And these people will always defend the good things when turning a blind eye to the atrocities that they've committed to baseball fans here in this town. I'm not an idiot. I understand that Corey Dickerson's better than McCutcheon. I'm not an idiot because I also understood why you would want to get rid of a player like McCutcheon who's on the downside of his career. How I'm not an idiot, though, is that I don't think that that was their plan all along. And I don't think those guys think that was the plan all along. I just think that's what they're selling right now. That's the goods they're going to try to feed you. And it ain't right. 
The Pirates look smart right now because they got rid of McCutcheon for a player who's younger and better at this point and cheaper. But the real reason they got rid of McCutcheon was just because they're cheaper. They weren't ever planning on bringing in a player of Corey Dickerson's caliber. The plan was for a guy like Frazier or, oh my God, Sean Rodriguez to play left field. That was the hope. That was the thought. That's what they were going to do because then they would have saved a butt ton of money. Well, now they get to appease the fans and they get to save a butt ton of money. And you're buying in exactly, some of you, the way that they want you to buy in. Look at us. Let's go get this young guy. Here's my fear. As somebody who does want to see winning baseball because it makes summer a hell of a lot more fun, the Pirates can't be true contenders this year because I think their hope is to trade Corey Dickerson. He's arbitration eligible after this year, third round. So he's going to make more than the five and change he's making this year, especially if he keeps up this pace. But since he's having a career year, Sell high on the guy. So the Pirates, I do think, are good enough to hang around that second wild card spot because, guys, it's really hard not to. I say it all the time. Pirates can be contenders. People laugh at me. No, they can't. Well, yeah, they can. Last year, you had two great wild cards. This year, we'll see. Most years, you don't. Most years, 85 wins. You're right there. The Pirates are going to be there. But the reason why they're not going to win the wild card is because if they're two games back, three games back of that second wild card, and a hot streak could push them right in, instead of counting on the hot streak, instead of adding a player that might get you to the playoffs, they're going to ship out a guy who's having the best year of his career. And I get it for a small market organization to do that. Pirates are a small market organization. But I don't get it when you're a small market organization that also has one of the top 10 richest owners in Major League Baseball. He always says, we're going to try to compete when we've got a chance to compete, 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 compete. Well, they might be there this year, and we'll see what he does. But I've seen it enough to think and know that that might be the final destination for one Corey Dickerson. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. I've got this coming in at underscore Adam Crowley responding to our Twitter poll here. Phil Mickelson, who's wearing a button-down shirt while golfing today, is moonlighting as a Jiffy Lube technician, an Enterprise employee, a waiter at an upscale joint. Max says, I was also thinking a guest speaker at a pyramid, pyramid scheme symposium telling me I could be a double blue diamond and make $10 million a month. Oh, perfect. And then as soon as he's done that gig, he goes to the timeshare gig. Oh, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. What do you think Phil Mickelson looks like? 412-922-2874. Tweet us at underscore Adam Crowley. In case you're wondering what the results are so far, Enterprise Employee has got 55% of the vote. I thought that was the best one, so I put it second, and it's still getting the most vote. He's Fig Jam's the kind of guy who would push for the extra insurance, too. Like, he'd try to get everything oh. out of you at that counter. 
He could be a used car salesman, too. Absolutely. That's the easy one. Oh, yeah. It really is the cliched one. Like a small lot, not like a dealership, like a nice one with used cars. I'm talking like a corner one with like 15 cars in the lot. He sells lemons. Yeah, 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 Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Fig jam. Explain why Phil Mickelson's fig jam. Oh, you're putting that on me, huh? Well, just don't say... Well, this is something that came out a long time ago with the PGA Tour members. Um, They had a nickname for him, and his nickname is Fig Jam, and it is for this. Uh, Follow me here. It's F, I'm good, Fig, just ask me. Fig Jam. F, I'm good, just ask me. Nobody likes that dude on tour. Big a-hole, as far as everybody's concerned. That's word, like, from behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. They just can't stand being around the guy. No, my buddy is... A golf pro, he works out in Denver, and well, he he did he doesn't do it anymore, but that's not really relevant to anybody. He said the same thing. Uh, Fig Jam is a great nickname. It, it's one of the best nicknames in sports. It really is. Fig Jam. Fig Jam. Fig Jam. The we, Enterprise employee. I know a couple Fig Jams. Oh, yeah. like I know a few of them. Being in this business, I know. A oh, few of them. radio <laughs> talent. I didn't say that. I'm just saying I know a lot of them. I'm great in this business. Oh, you're awesome. I'm fabulous. I wouldn't. I wouldn't work on your show if you weren't. Let's go to Joe and McCandless quickly here. Hello, Joe. Hello. Hey, everybody's talking about how great the Pirates are. Do you realize that they've played almost all of the teams that are under 500? Yeah, but you got to take advantage. I'm on your side, Joe. I don't think they're a great baseball team, but they're just good enough to be okay. Well. Uh, in the last oh, five years, uh, they've had chances, but their manager just doesn't know anything about baseball. He's got to be one of the world's worst managers. They talk, oh, he won a thousand games. In 15 years, if you can't win a thousand games as a manager, you better hit the road. Well, that's probably true, the last part there, and appreciate the call, buddy. I don't think Clint Hurdle's the problem. He's far, far down the list. And we've got to take a break because I've taken that segment too long to allow you to stumble through that terrible point. If you call up, though, I'll be nicer. 412-922-2874. Just kidding, Jim. Or was it John? It was Joe. <laughs> it's all right. I get all those hard bots confused <laughs> anyway. Up next, everyone wants an answer from Phil Kessel. I've got all the answers. It's the Crowley Show.